I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Now, before I pray, I just want to mention a couple of things. First of all, at the, at the, after, the, after the message that my dad and I are teaming up on, uh, Jerry's going to come up, and, and he'll give you an opportunity if, if you feel so moved that you want to share a brief word of encouragement or, or offer a prayer. Uh, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to do that if, if you would like to, so just, just keep that on your, on your radar screen. The other thing I want to mention is that most, most sermons, at least most of my sermons, we fly at a very low altitude over, over the, the terrain of, of a particular text and really try to drink in all the details of that passage. Well, this, this message is, is very different. We're flying at a very high altitude, uh, looking at some very big picture things uh, from, from the Bible. So I just wanted to mention to that as we get into this. So let me go ahead and pray. Father, uh, we, we thank you for your mercy and grace to this particular body of believers for the, the presence and gifting of the Holy Spirit for drawing us together as one body, for giving each part of the body a critical role to play in the building up of, of this church family. And Father, I pray that you would bring encouragement, vision, motivation as we consider your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this sermon, Equipping the Saints, Enlarging the Sphere of Ministry, and Ensuring Faithfulness for Years to Come. Now, that's kind of a long title, but it's important. E- e- equipping the saints, all of God's people ought to be outfitted with God's words and God's armor so that they can fight the battle in their part of the battlefield. Enlarging the sphere of ministry as more and more people are able to faithfully handle the Word of God, then the more blessing and the more encouragement goes out to the whole body. And ensuring faithfulness for years to come as the body of, of, of leaders grows and across different ages and different stations in life, you have a, a growing body of elders working together to, to steward the faithfulness of the congregation and to set trajectories that will bode this congregation well in the 2050s. Uh, last week, I was meeting with uh, Grayson, and in the context of our meeting, I, I got to thinking about some, uh, I think it was a particular quote that I had written in the flyleaf of an old Bible that was on the desk, on another desk next to the desk I was sitting at, and I, I got it out, and I ended up sharing like seven quotations with, with Grayson that I had written down probably 20, 25 years ago, and here's one of them that relates to what we're doing this morning. Ministry without a vision is like a glacier, impressive to look at, but not going anywhere. Now, I don't know who said that, but I'm pretty sure that I I got that 
when I was sitting in chapel at Cedarville College in the, in the late 1990s. And it makes a really important point that, you know, you, you can have a lot of ministry activity going on. You can have a lot of programming. But there's a really important question you have to ask. Why are we doing this? <laughs> Where are we headed? What, it, what is this really all about? And the, the, the last thing we want is to have a, a ministry or to have a leadership that is stagnant. You know, you, you, can, you can imagine a situation in, in church life where you have a very small number of people doing most of the work. Now, I'm, I'm very happy to say that our particular congregation is, is not anything like that. There, there are an amazing number of people actively involved in both official and unofficial ministries who are serving in all kinds of ways to, to, to build up this body of believers. But we, we want to we keep that going. We, 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 you don't want a stagnant situation where a few people are doing all the work for 25 or 30 years, and then you know what happens. People get older. People get tired. People get burned out. People move on, and eventually people die. You can have a situation in a, in a church where, boy, the, the, spark, the spark was lost 15 years ago, and it's just kind of been a, a slow, dwindling process for 12 or 15 years, and now a church is struggling to keep its doors open. You, you, you got to have vision, and part of that vision is, is, is multiplying leaders, which is really just a subset of multiplying disciples. That, that's, that, that's why we're here. To, a healthy church has to have a dynamic growth process in which all believers are actively growing together in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, learning, growing pressing on, maturing, bearing fruit, and doing it together. There, there is, whatever level of ministry, whatever type of ministry, there is so much joy and energy and strength that comes from working together. Uh, a great word that relates to working together is the word synergy. When I was a youngster, I was a tennis player. I still play once in a while. But, but back in the day, I had, my tennis racket was the, the, the Prince CTS Synergy DB26 racket. It served me well. <laughs> Anybody catch that? that? Now, this has nothing to do with the message, but synergy, the word synergy, I have loved that word for 30 years. And uh, what does it mean? What it means is the parts working together accomplish more than the parts working independently and separately. Uh, so I was recently listening to a, a Bible lesson with my kids, and the, the teacher was talking about synergy. He said uh, uh, a horse working by itself can pull up to 8,000 pounds. Which means that if you have two horses working separately, pulling different loads, then they could, they could pull up to 16,000 pounds, right? But 
If the two horses are working together, pulling the same load, they can pull up to 24,000 pounds. That's synergy. And the whole body of believers is called into a synergistic growth process. Uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. I'll get to Acts 8 in a moment. But in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16... He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The Lord wants our body of believers to build itself up. And it does that as each part is doing its proper work to build up the body of believers. And you, you also see this synergistic teamwork process when it comes to leadership. Jesus sent out the 12, two by two. Jesus sent out the 72, two by two. You, you turn to the book of Acts, and in the early chapters of the book of Acts, you have, you, you have uh, Peter and John working together. And then you, you, you go on later in the book of Acts and you have Paul and, and, and so many, uh, uh, he had so many co-laborers on his ministry team ministering all over the Mediterranean world. Now, there's a really powerful line of thought that runs from the end of chapter 7 in the book of Acts to the beginning of chapter 16, and I want to share that with you, and that will also be a really good setup for what my, what my dad uh, wants to share during his part of the message. But if you look there in, in Acts chapter 8, what just happened at the end of chapter 7 is that Stephen was martyred. Stephen, faithful gospel preacher, he was martyred. And, and you see there at the beginning of chapter 8, Saul approved of his execution. Saul, I'm going to say Paul a lot, same guy, Saul, Paul, same man. Okay? And it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Look at verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, this sets up the context for what I want to talk about, because Paul was... He was an unbeliever at this point. He was spearheading violent persecution against the church and the thousands of believers in Jerusalem. They were scattered all over the region. And as we will find out, they, they, they did something very important. But when you turn to Acts chapter 9, I'll just reference it quickly. The sovereign Lord gloriously interrupted the, uh, uh, Paul's life. Jesus threw Paul off of his sinful course. Jesus drew Paul into the riches of salvation. And virtually overnight, Paul the violent persecutor became Paul the faithful preacher. Now turn over to chapter 11 and look at verse 19. Chapter 11 verse 19 picks up the storyline from the beginning of chapter 8 where the persecuted believers were scattered. It says in verse 19 of chapter 11, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, 
who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. So you have these scattered believers and these believers from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they are sharing the gospel. Now it's beautiful, you know, they're not named. We don't know their names. We know the names of the apostles. We know about Stephen, and we know about Philip, and we know about Barnabas, and we know about, about Paul. We don't know who, what the names of these believers were. Perhaps they were very ordinary believers who had been scattered and were going forth, but they were able to share the gospel, and they shared the gospel with Jews and with Gentiles. And the Lord was with them and granted them success, and a church was born in Antioch. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So now you have a new disciple group in Antioch, and the question is, well, who's going who's to shepherd this new flock? Who's going to teach it? Well, if you look at verse 22, the church in Jerusalem got wind of what was going on up in Antioch, and end of verse 22, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And if you look at verse 23, it will tell you that Barnabas rejoiced to see the Lord's grace at work in the lives of these believers. He exhorted the believers to press on in their walk with the Lord. And while this was happening, more and more people were turning to the Lord. And apparently, Barnabas thought to himself, I need help. Barnabas was not attempting to be a one-man show, and he knew that he needed help to shepherd this fledgling congregation in Antioch. And so what did he do? Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, Paul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So, so basically, Barnabas and Paul were a two-man missionary pastor team shepherding and instructing the church of Antioch for an entire year. Now go to chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. A little time passes, and a beautiful thing happened. Look at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So, Barnabas, he was a one-man team until he got Paul, then he was a two-man team, and somehow, we don't know the inner workings of this, but somehow, three other men in the congregation were, whether they, whether they came in from the outside or whether they were identified from within, but they were gifted by the Holy Spirit, their gifts were recognized, and they came to be associated with Barnabas and Paul as leaders in the Antioch church. So now you got a five-man team. What, what an enlargement of ministry capacity. Such an enlargement that the Holy Spirit came in verses 2 and 3 and said, you know what, it's time for Barnabas and Paul to move on. Look at verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, so, so not, now, now you, you have two ministry teams. You have a three-man team in Antioch, and then you have Barnabas and Paul. 
doing their missionary work in the region and in Asia Minor, and many people are being blessed and being strengthened in the faith or turning to the Lord. Acts chapter 13 and 14 describes the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, and if you look there at the end of chapter 14, end of chapter 14, verse 21, says, when they had preached the gospel to that city, referring to Derbe, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. That's a different Antioch than their mother church. That's Antioch and Pisidia. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, verse 22. and verse 23, they appointed elders for the disciples in every church, thus showing the principle of at least, at least a two-man eldership team watching over every particular congregation. Paul and Barnabas went back to their home church, Antioch in Syria, and they stayed there a while. They, I'm sure they resumed their teaching and pastoral duties in the church in Antioch. They ended up getting involved in a doctrinal dispute. The, the, the message of the gospel needed to be clarified against some who were distorting the message. So Paul and Barnabas went down to the Jerusalem church, and they had a big council, and they sorted out this doctrinal issue, and they got the clarification that they sought. And... And then at the end of Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas thought it would be good to return to the cities where they had planted churches in order to see how they were doing and to encourage the saints. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. They had, they had taken uh, John Mark on their first missionary journey, and for some reason, Mark bailed on them. We don't know why. But Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them on the second missionary journey, and Paul was like, no way, not going to happen. And so they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus, and Paul acquired Silas as his new teammate, and on they went. Now you have three ministry teams, the three-man team in Antioch, Barnabas and, and Mark in Cyprus, and, and, and Paul and Silas going on into Asia Minor. Now let's pick it up in verse 40, Acts chapter 15, verse 40. The whole goal here is to get to Timothy. Okay. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And I'm just going to stop there. See, Paul added Timothy to his team. Paul equipped Timothy and increasingly entrusted responsibilities to him. Paul did the same thing with Titus. And what you see here is that you always want to have an enlarged ministry capacity, whether that's understood in terms of missionary labors in different parts of the world, or whether it's even within the same local church, because an enlarged ministry team has more capacity to minister and teach and counsel and visit and love and help all kinds of people in the congregation and even beyond. Now, I want to be very clear about something, and that is that we cannot do these things effectively in our own strength. If, if the Lord is not equipping, our equipping efforts are in vain. If the Lord is not directing and enlarging our ministry, our enlargement efforts are in vain. If, if, if the Lord is not ensuring faithfulness for years to come, then our ensuring efforts are in vain. We must be like Barnabas, 
who it was said of Barnabas in chapter 11 that he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Paul said at the end of Colossians chapter 1 that he did not labor in his own strength, but he labored with all the strength that Christ powerfully worked in him. And my dad's going to talk from 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And in 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul says to Timothy, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All of this has to proceed on the basis of God's grace and God's strength working in and through us. Otherwise, what we're doing is in vain. But here's the thing. God is doing things, and he invites us to participate in what he is doing. And we don't just get to be stewards of people's gifts. We get to be stewards of people, to to respect and honor and receive and welcome and affirm the people that God is bringing to us and gifting in all kinds of different ways. We want to give people opportunities to learn and grow, and serve, and take a crack at it, and discover, and fail. If you want to kill leadership training, all you have to do is require that the trainee do it perfectly according to your specifications, and you will kill ministry training, and you will discourage a lot of people. Paul told a mature Timothy that, he, that, that his progress should be evident to all. How much more would a young Timothy need to mature and make progress and overcome character deficiencies or, or skill deficiencies in his effort of growing as a faithful man of God? We're all called to make progress I had the opportunity to get my feet wet in ministry when I was in my 20s before I had much in the way of pastoral wisdom. I had the opportunity to to teach and to lead studies and to disciple and to develop ministries. It was really small scale and short-term stuff. But other people gave me the opportunity to cut my teeth as a young man. And that was really important to my growth process. And I want to do that for others, that other people would have an opportunity to cut their teeth and grow and come into their own. If, 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 I, if I had to choose a, a key verse for elder in training, I'm, I'm not sure what verse I would choose, but the beginning of Acts 16.3 would be a strong contender. I absolutely love it. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. You see... The elder and training program really isn't a program. You know, it's got some, you know, it's got some general, general direction, uh, but, but it's about relationships. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, learn from him, interact with him, uh, and, and, and grow together. And that, that's, what, that's what this is all about. When, when we, we invited uh, Alan and John uh, in the middle of last year, we invited them into elder and training, and we wanted them to spend time with us. We looked at Alan and John as they're already substantially qualified to serve as elders, but we just want to spend time with them. We want to confirm that calling upon them. We, we want to develop relational chemistry with them. And uh, John had to, had to step away because he had too much on his plate, but Alan has, has remained with us. Now we're doing something new in bringing Adrian and 
Aaron on. Would you guys just stand up for a minute? Aaron, Adrian? There. That's, there's Aaron, Adrian, in case you didn't know uh, who they were. Uh, you can sit down. Um, we're, 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 we've invited them into a, a multi-year training process. They, they've already demonstrated uh, a heart for God a heart for the scriptures and a heart for people. Elder in training is not designed to jumpstart lethargic people. It's designed to steward what God is already doing and how he's, how he's transforming and, 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 and gifting the people within our body. It, elder in training is a recognition of what the Lord is doing. Um, as, as elders in training, they, they'll, be, they'll receive mentoring, I, I've been mentoring Adrian for a while now. I, I, was, I was working with, with Jeremy Johnson, who's off at Bible College on the West Coast, and Adrian heard that I, was, that I was meeting with Jeremy, and Adrian said, could you meet with me? And so we started. Uh, and Tom McGarvey is, is, uh, is, is mentoring Aaron. I believe Aaron reached out to Tom and asked him to do that. Um, they're, they're, both of these guys are, are in, already involved in ministries in various ways, and we don't want to take them away from the ministries they're already involved in, but we want them to grow and, and bear fruit and demonstrate leadership in those capacities. And, and uh, uh, they'll, they'll join us for a, a quarterly training night with, with the elders uh, to, to just to, to invest in them in various ways, doctrinally and practically. And I just want you to know something. This is, this is all about God's grace. It is not about human achievement. Is Ben in here? Ben, are you here? I don't see him. He disappeared. Well, when, when Ben became an elder at the beginning of 2017, do you know... Uh, do you know what Aaron and Adrian were doing in the beginning of 2017? Aaron was dead in his trespasses and sins at the beginning of 2017. Do you know where Adrian was at the beginning of 2017? Let's see. Uh, this is the Eagle News from the Oxford Hills Christian Academy, June, two, June 2019, and Adrian is telling his story and reflecting back to seventh grade, which would have been about 2017. Do you know what he says? My first year when I came to this school, which would be the seventh grade, I was very broken in my walk with God and was very self-centered, and I focused more on myself than God. In sixth grade, I felt like a failure and wanted to commit suicide and almost did. But because God loves me and that for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, John 3.16. He loved me and gave me hope and I put the knife down and picked up my Bible instead. This is not about human achievement, human programming, or human effort. This is all about the grace of God in the lives of wretches like me. And if you think we're up here for any other reason, this is about God's grace. How many 18-year-olds 
say this. Adrian wrote a letter to our church family upon his graduation from high school in June. You may not have seen it. It was in the Awana room. But he wrote a letter to our church family, and in part he said this. This summer I plan to buy the house I am living in from my father and renovate it so that it will provide a home when I get married and a family that will hold fast to the truth of God and will be honoring and pleasing to him. What a transformation in six years. Young people, who knows what transformation you might experience in six years. Adam, only been a believer for, what, a year, year and a half maybe? What transformation will come to you over a period of six years? I hope, I hope that the elder's example of making room for others to grow into leaders will reinforce really what is already happening throughout our congregation, that there is a spirit of teamwork and of training and of fellowship and of spiritual growth. There's always room for one more. And if, if we get, if there's too many of us, then the Holy Spirit might come and say, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, or set apart for me whoever, and they need to go over there. And that, that's fine. That's tough, but it's, it's fine. Now, my dad's going to come up and finish this message. I wanted him to be a part of this because he's had a passion for training leaders for a very long time, and he's sought to do that locally as a deacon in the churches that he's been a part of. He also had the opportunity to be part of a, a seminary up in Quebec as their U.S. representative, and, and, and he got to observe many beautiful things happening in terms of local church training. And, and you, you may not know this, but my dad closely follows the ministry of South Paris Baptist Church. He's, he's probably listened to as many sermons from this pulpit as anyone else in here has over the last several years. He doesn't just listen to my sermons either. He listens to some of the other people who, pre, who preach here. And he, and he prays for people in this church family. He, he loves you. And he's going to come and finish this message. Make sure this mic gets on. Well, Brian already told you that uh, I have a passion for discipling men and women. It has always been something close to me. Ten days ago, I celebrated my 38th spiritual birthday. Yeah, uh, and uh, I was 40 years old at the time, so I guess that makes me 78 now. <laughs> but about eight years into my really coming to know the Lord, um, I was reading Ephesians, not for the first time, you know, but you know how you read scripture? And man, I didn't see that before. But anyways, I was reading chapter 4, and particularly I got to verses 11 and 12, uh, where we're told that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd, the teachers, to equip the saints to do the ministry of the church. 
And they were to, for bringing up, by building up the church of Christ. And so what was different now is I looked, I thought about that, and I, I don't see this being practiced anywhere. I'm sure there were churches that were practicing that. But I didn't, in my own experience, see a church that was training up from within the church pastors, evangelists, elders, deacons, teachers, church planters, missionaries. And I was thinking about it, I said, I don't think they're doing a very good job, and I'm talking about the church I was in, a very good job of even practicing the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, teaching them to observe all that Christ had commanded them. And so, I tried in my own church to go and encourage this. And there was some motion, movement, but, but not much. And this is not the place to discuss all that. Okay? Um, but uh, that was my observation. 20 years ago, I was blessed by coming into contact with a ministry in Quebec. And Quebec has less than 1% of true born-again believers. And this ministry I was introduced to, okay, Evangelical Baptist Seminary of Quebec, better known as Sembec. And I was blessed to be with them for nearly 10 years representing them in the English-speaking world. Oh, I didn't know French very well. I didn't know French at all. As a matter of fact, when I'd go up there, and I would say, bonjour, and they would start speaking to me in English. <laughs> Is that humbling? It sure was. But at least I knew I didn't know language very well. Oh, but, but, but anyways, what, I, I went up there, and before I became part of their team, I was up there, and what I observed, they practiced Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. They didn't just practice it, okay? They abundantly practiced it. And I was immediately thinking, you know, I'm trying to get people to think this way. Oh, it's useless, useless. And then God brought me to Sembeck. And I saw it really works. And as Brian said, it wasn't because of human effort. It was because of what the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives. They had a particular verse that kind of guided them in this process. And that was uh, uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul is talking to his protege, Timothy. And the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And that was what they were trying to accomplish in, a, in an area where there was, there was no, pretty hardly any believers. 
Everywhere they looked, there was a need for someone to know the Lord. And they didn't just stop with the doctrinal issue, the word, understanding it. And they said also, they were going to go and train them up into various ministries. Give them opportunities within the church to do ministries. In addition to that, what we got to build up their godly character. We, we, we all need to have our character built up in a godly fashion. No matter how long we've been a believer or whatever, we need to do that. And so they, their whole way of dealing with this was kind of three-pronged. No, they, they were training them up in doctrine and the word. They were training them up into ministry opportunities, and they were training them up to be more and more godly. And they did all this under the guidance of mentors. Every man, and this is dealt with men, men but this whole process is good for women, by the way, okay? Um, but for every man to be mentored by someone a pastor, just someone in, in ministry within the church. Okay? And what that mentor did was come alongside and taught them, encouraged them, prayed for them, corrected them. And that is what I got exposed to. And then they asked me to become, would I like to become on their team and represent them in the United States or English-speaking world? Well, English-speaking world, I can do. I, I have a rough time with English myself, but, but I still would be able to do that. And so I said yes, after conferring with my wife to find out it was all right with her for me to spend some time up into Quebec. Okay. So let me just have a few words here on 2 Timothy. Um, so Paul has, at the end of 1 Timothy, he tells Timothy, he says, guard the good deposit okay, which you've been entrusted. Have you ever thought much about that? This is what was entrusted to him. The good deposit. And what are we to do with it? We're to guard it. That doesn't mean guard it and hide it somewheres. That means, one, to go and understand it and use it and share it, but also to share it to other people correctly. Guard it. Okay? And he starts 2 Timothy with the same encouragement or exhortation. So what's he tell his protege, Timothy? What you've heard from me, the good deposit, among other many witnesses. What does that mean? You know, it wasn't just between him and Timothy. You know, it was around other people. He could share it with other people. Other people could help him. There would be, be an encouragement and give Timothy some boldness that we know if we read through the scriptures that Timothy could use. And he said, I want you to pass it on. You're going to guard this by passing it on to someone else. But who are you going to pass it on to? Some faithful men. How do you determine a faithful man? As Brian talked earlier, 
It's all about relationships. You have to have relationships with people. You have relationships with some men, and this would be the pastors or the elders or others that they have relationships with men. They've seen how men understand the scripture, if they can share the scripture or they can teach the, the scripture. They also can see how they handle different situations. Scripturally, applicationally. Okay. And when, when you have all that, and, and you, you think that out, and you're, the Holy Spirit guides and directs you and encourages you, I think that this man is someone who we could have trained up. And so that's how they got the man to do that, the faithful man. And you can see, again, if they could teach others that that was the goal, to pass it on. So then, um, I want to I want to share with you a, a couple examples um, from my experience, ten years' experience with uh, with Sembeck. Um, and and I, I could go on forever <laughs> on that, uh, but I'm going to limit it to two major ones. Okay. But before I do that, I want you to understand there's a difference between Quebec, the province of Quebec in South Paris, Maine. And um, that's a good thing for us to know in everything we do. You know, we can see a church does this, or a person does this, but you're not that church, and you're not that person. You need to be who the Lord wants you to be as a church and as a person through the Holy Spirit. In the 1960s, when they, the Baptists first started evangelizing um, Quebec, um, there were very few born again, almost none. Um, and the people they were reaching out to knew almost nothing about the Bible. And they, the French Canadians had very little experience in, this, in uh, leadership. But they were the ones being saved, and they were enthusiastic. They were passionate about the Lord and serving the Lord and serving the church. We used to say about them, they were being saved on Friday, wanting to be trained on Saturday so they could be the pastor on Sunday. What do you do with that energy, with that passion? You wanted to do something with them, and on top of that, they were the church. What did they have to do? They had to train them on the spot. And so that's what they were doing. And about a decade into doing that, and churches became more and more, the churches reached out to the leaders and said, we need to train them up more formally. We need, and that's how Sembeck was formed, to work with the local churches. 
That's exactly what Sembeck does. No major issue other than how can we help the local church to train up leaders to be the leaders within the church. How are we going to do that? Okay, so I just wanted you to have that background that, that that's a little bit different than here in South Paris. But the principles are similar. As both Tom and, and Brian have, have shared with you at the beginning here. So I just want to share two examples for you. The first one is to show uh, how the general aspect is done, this training program in, in Sembeck. So within the church, and I want you to know, this, the most significant part of this is the involvement of the local church. Not from the outside, it's from within. And so within the church, they would begin to maybe notice because they have a relationship with some man, okay, and they see how he loves the word, he knows the word, he can share the word, he can teach the word, he seems to have a real godly character. No, <laughs> not perfect, right, but godly character. And, and so they'll say, I think we, this is someone we could get involved in with Sembeck's program, okay? Again, it's Sembeck's program, but it's really the Holy Spirit working, okay? It's not a, a human endeavor without the Holy Spirit. And then, so they, they would take him, uh, and they would then get an, a mentor to help him out, to guide him, to teach him, encourage him, to correct him. And he would begin, first of all, setting him up to take these various courses that Sembeck offered. It was a seminary. And there are courses they, they would take. But then he would begin to work with him with ministry opportunities. And the local church, when it says we would think this man should be trained up, the local church, and we will supply the ministry needs they need. We're not going to say, well, you know, we don't want to do this one. You know, we got people doing this one. Uh, but no one's doing this one. Let, let's set them there. No! Where are they? How is the Lord working in their life? What ministries could they do? So they would come alongside a pastor or a, uh, a, a, some ministry leader and work on ministry. Maybe what they would do, they would help this person uh, you know, doing uh, teaching or doing visitation or helping out doing a funeral or so on. But what would eventually happen? They would then reach a point where they were doing the funeral. They were doing the teaching. They were even given sermons. I'll talk about that in a second when I talk about what's going on in this church. Sermons. So that's good. That's going to take a time. By the way, it usually takes somewhere between two and six years, depending on their background and their needs. Okay. But still got one aspect and that is character. And so the mentor and the man being trained up would talk about what character needs do I need to improve on. One might be prayer, my prayer life. And it's not to say that none of us don't need to, to do that sort of thing, but they pick out one that's really important for, for the man and, and the, 
mentor thinks this would be good. So they devise a plan on how they could help that man be more, have a greater prayer life. And the plan they set up, that man would be accountable to the mentor to make sure that was happening. And once that was reached, what else could I work on? And sometimes they've worked on two or three at the same time. But maybe, you know, I, I wish my... I wish my marriage, I wish my marriage would be more God-honoring. They would devise a plan to do that. Or maybe it would be finances. Okay? So they would do all that until finally, um, you know, they're kind of done with the program. But they're not done with ministry. Now they've been trained up. They know the word. They have ministry abilities, whatever it might have developed into, and they have developed their a godly character. Um, okay. I want to say one more thing, and, and Brian I'll, I already mentioned this. Um, so you go through this program, and maybe a year or two into the program, the mentor or the man decides this isn't for me. Maybe that this isn't for them, or the timing isn't right. But that is not a failure. That's God's way of working in that individual. We don't all, we're not always successful in the things we're trying to do for the Lord. Okay? And boy, we learn a whole lot. I used to tell my students you know, that you learn a whole lot more by your, from your mistakes than the, the questions you get right on the tests I gave you. Same thing. Then I want to show, so that is how the, the, the local church is involved in the program. But I want to now show you how actually it's transmitted within the church. So this church in Quebec, the senior pastor uh, was being mentored by the president of Semba. And they would meet many times during the, the month, several times during the week sometimes. Okay? And they would just work on what needs to be worked on. But as the senior pastor was being mentored by the Sembeck president, this senior pastor was mentoring a man that became their associate pastor. But you know why this associate pastor was being mentored by the senior pastor? He was mentoring the youth pastor. And while the youth pastor was being mentored, he was mentoring a man interested in being a youth pastor. Do, do, do you see how this is working down through the church? The church has got to be growing with leadership, because the whole emphasis is that. But I want you to know, the whole church is behind this. They're not all. What do I mean? So the associate pastors are going to be preaching, you know, and uh, instead of the senior pastor, we, we, we hired the senior pastor. What's this associate pastor doing? What, this youth pastor's preaching? No, they were excited about it because that was an opportunity for them to grow. So, just to show you, the, the senior pastor became the president of Sunbeck. And the associate pastor became the senior pastor. So, I, I, just, I just want you to be encouraged by what I just got done saying, because you're doing it here. 
You're practicing Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. You're practicing 2 Timothy 2, 2. But how do you explain that in the last six years you have had 11 men from your congregation preach at least once for a total of 33 times? How do you explain men teaching Sunday school? Couples teaching the young adults, the youth group? Men taking young men under their wing and taking them to help them do a project. And when they're doing a project, it isn't simply one of, you know, just getting this work done. No. What's happening there? Relationship. And those young men are learning not only how to do some project, but what it means to do it in a godly way. A woman is teaching a couple young ladies how to sew. Another relationship. And I know there's many more things. You know, I, I, I just come here three times a year. Now, I do keep kind of track of what's going on here. You know, don't want to know what our son's doing. Okay? But, but still, there's many things I don't know. I want you to be encouraged for that. I want you to be encouraged one other way. Um, and so, uh, two more examples. I, I, this was probably, you know, maybe 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And I would spend time in churches and get to know people, trying to form relationships with them. So I was talking to this one young man. He's probably was probably 16 years old. And in our discussion, I said, well, what, what do you want to, what do you see you're doing? What do you want to do in the future? He says, I want to be a godly man. Where did he get such a thought? I want to be a godly man. Another example. A man about 35 years old, maybe. Another church. And I was talking with him about what he was doing in the church and the ministry work. And I said, what would you like to do? He said, I'd like to be a deacon. But I'm not ready but they're training me up. Where did he get such a thought? And it demonstrates that he got that thought by the testimony and the witness of the church that he attended. They learned that kind of thing because that's what they saw. And so they saw people, they saw men whose desire was to know the word, witness to people, share the gospel, uh, show the love of Christ. And it was important for them. It became important for this young man of 16 years old. 
or this older man, 35, that's not too old, but 35, hey, and he wanted to be a deacon, but he knew he wasn't ready to be a deacon, but they weren't trained him up to be a deacon. So I, I just, as I finish up here, I just want you to, to think about that. Think about what I shared with you just a, a moment ago for what you have accomplished in this church already through the power of the Holy Spirit and the leaders that you have. That you have young people that are seeing what you're doing. We have young people seeing what's really important. It doesn't have to just be young people, though. It can be someone new in the faith, they're attending your church or whatever. But keep that in mind and be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is truly blessing this body of believers. But he has many more blessings if you continue to honor him as you have. God bless you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we can't begin to comprehend all your love and grace and mercy, how you care for us in so many ways. We pray that we, you know, let the Holy Spirit fill us, giving us wisdom and insight, giving us the power. And we just pray that what you have accomplished in and through this congregation so far, Lord, that uh, you would continue in doing that, that they would continue to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We think of Adrian and Aaron as they are you know, going to go into this, just being trained up. You know, they, you're important to them, Lord. They want to honor you. They each have their own particular passions that we pray you would develop in the ministry work that they would do, some you've already done. Pray for, for Alan as, as he becomes close to maybe becoming a, a full elder, but all his input thus far. I pray for everyone here that they remember one day they have been given a good deposit entrusted to them and they would continue to use that and pass it on. Not only the understanding and the word of God, but passing on ministries, passing on a godly character. So Lord, I just praise you for all you do not only here, we pray you might do some likewise work in other churches, all for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.